Hey, Megan. Hi, how are you? Your voice is not at all what I expected. I mean, she must be pretty awesome, at least from Facebook. Hey. Hey. How are you? I, I clicked recording a little early just in case. <laughs> Oh, I always just have it record from the beginning automatically because... Yeah, you never know. So this may not be the first episode that you listeners hear if we decide not to go in this order, but it's the first one we're recording of this new venture. And so do you want to take like a minute to to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess let's introduce what this is. So I'm Catherine D and you might know me as default friend on Twitter and all around the internet. Um, You want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Nama Cates. You might know me from the internet too, from Incel, my podcast and and other things I do and write about incels. And we've recorded a bunch of sort of episodes together for my podcast and one for yours that I think ended up as a written piece. And, uh, you know, I've really liked it. I think you've really liked it. And we thought, hey, maybe we should combine forces. And that brings us to what you're listening to now. Um, So we both write about the internet and um, we both write about relationships. So why not a whole podcast about internet relationships? Mm -hmm. And and internet romance and sexuality, all, all kind of the related goodies that, you know, are pretty much just infinite. And it is called... We met online, <laughs> which is sort of the the perfect name <laughs> for such yes. a for such a program. Yes, it is. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, the 2010 documentary Catfish which I think sort of is like a, you know, a, a great introduction to uh, e-romance. Mm-hmm. Yes. This movie and the show, the adaptation of the, the movie into the show, you know, the, the show is kind of a little bit cheesy, the, the MTV show. I personally love it, but, you know, they obviously made it deliberately something that was very formulaic and accessible, but I think it's a formula that works. And I just think that this, you know, the idea of taking these real people that have these strange kind of internet romances and translating it to film is just such a great concept with the film and with the show. And it really, uh, I have to say, it's, and I've told you this, Catherine, it's, uh, I feel like a big inspiration for my show too. And a lot of people are sort of puzzled by that, but there's something about, about seeing that the way they, they took these, you know, interactions that were mostly online with people that you didn't know if they were real. You didn't know what they looked like, where they were in the world, what they actually would sound like once you took them off the page and, and took them off the page and sometimes even to meet each other. And I just think that's, it's a thrilling premise for me. Yeah, I I was so stoked um, when I saw the trailer for the documentary. And I mean, like, uh, Neve Shulman, who is sort of the central f- figure in, in all this, um, it's, it's his story. He really... Um, you know, I kind of think he milked it a little bit because there's a podcast, he wrote a book, there's sure. a movie, of course, there's a TV series. Um, you know, I think you know he, he's written articles, um, but he really like I it, it's it, 
it sounds kind of corny to say, but it like really was like a huge contribution to the conversation about digital relationships because, you know, the concept of catfishing was well known, um, but there wasn't a name for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was something that people struggled to talk about, but everyone had a story about it. Mm -hmm. And it was also kind of like a a popular pastime for people, especially Mm -hmm. like if you were someone who went into like AOL chat rooms, like everyone had a story of like, you know, maybe not as sustained as you see in the show or of course the film, but like, you know, I pretended to be um, like a 23 year old in California. And I like, I am with this guy for like three days and like, it it was like, everyone was doing it and it was kind of fun. And the way that people talked about it, um, you know, it, it was something that was even happening um, like on uh, bulletin board systems and on Usenet and uh, certainly The Well, which was a, another online conferencing system um, in the uh, in the early 90s. I mean, it's still, it's still around. Um, it was like people, it was either like a form of play that was sort of mm-hmm. like tacitly accepted. And then the only time people seemed to get really mad about it was when um, the lines blurred between real life and the physical world and like then it was really clear you were leading someone on right right right. um you know i remember i read the joy of cyber sex recently um i i don't remember when that book was published it had to be like like 1997 at the latest and this woman is writing about she's like yeah you know it's it's the internet right like if if you want to be a a dude who cares right like you're everyone's just having fun here everyone's just experimenting (laughs) It's a way to explore identity. And I think it's almost a coming of age story for for kids nowadays. Um, It's probably changed now that there is more transparency and chat rooms as they existed when I was a kid. Don't really, I don't think, but there are, you know, there's Reddit and there's things like that, that kind of serve the same purpose where you're not necessarily yourself publicly, you know, linked to a profile, but that was, it, it was definitely a coming of age experience both to to go into a chat room and to to cyber or flirt or whatever you were going to do. And basically also to catfish, because me too, I catfished people too, in that sense, not the way that, you know, not as sustained or as, you know, nefariously as the woman in this film ends up doing, Um, but just to kind of explore, to play. Like you said, it was tacitly accepted. And of course, where that line blurs is different for everyone. And, and that's something I think that we'll get into. But I think both to do that with, with people that you actually knew, you know, from school or whatever, that was, that was certainly um, like a milestone. And then to do it with strangers. Anytime you have that kind of freedom, then it, it will turn sexual. People, that's just where people's minds go. It's the way, you know, that pornography and and sex questions are always going to make up the lion's share of searches and of questions on somewhere like Quora. Um, That's just what people do. You know, we, we talk about sex and we play at it and engage in, in something like it. So this is something that I think everyone, like you said, everyone has a story with it. Some of them are very serious. A lot of people I think have had pretty transformative catfishing experiences. But I, I mean, there's also people that that meet genuinely and have real relationships that aren't catfishing. And there's catfish, there's catfishing stories that turn, you know, more real and more romantic. I mean, I think yeah. that's a really important part of it. People lie on the internet, you know, even today, like, 
oh my God, I, I have met some like real pathological liars, but it's because like you go into um, mediated relationships and you don't know if you're going to meet this person. So if you're like, I don't know, like an electrician and you're it's like, fuck it, I'm just talking to this person on Twitter. Maybe I'll be a programmer today. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. so serious even, no. even now. And right. it's, it's, it's a different, I feel like it's a different kind of lying, which yeah, is, it is, which is like how this, I feel like how it's so it's playing to me. It's, yeah. it's more like, you know, it's, it's not lying so much as it is um, making believe like, you know, I think, I don't know who can relate to this anymore, but maybe when you go on, when you travel and you take a long train ride somewhere or you fly somewhere and it's a short flight and you sit next to someone and you know, you, you make up a few details about your life just to be someone else for that day. It's, yeah. it's fine. harmless. Right. And it's, you know, I actually did that recently. I was in New Orleans and this woman, ne- I was at a restaurant and this woman next to me just like really wanted to talk. And I was like, I'm never going to see this woman again. Mm-hmm. I told her that I had like three kids. I mean, I was just like, whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was having a night out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't, I didn't like just kind of wanted to see what would happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm someone who, you know, we're both creative people. Um, I am an actress, you know, performer and, and I write, and those are different forms of expression that are playing with your identity, you know, where you get to sort of live a different life. And I feel like that's really what it is. It's kind of an expression of creativity. Usually people of course can take it to a darker place or, you know, use it to, exploit someone. And I think sometimes it turns into that when that's not nearly the intention. I think that's usually true, right? Like even in these catfishing stories, they, they start out really innocent where someone's just kind of trying on a different hat and then maybe they keep talking and maybe it took, I mean, that's what a lot of these catfishing stories like on the TV show turn out to be. Like I I've called it non-consensual role-playing because (laughs) the thing is like, you can't really predict who you're going to have genuine feelings for. And that's when it gets really sticky and you like are like oh shit how do i <laughs> how do i back this up yeah um, and then you know no one really knows i mean because there's just so much shame attached to it in general like there's so much shame attached to lying and then it's like how are you gonna admit the truth i remember i you know i was a prolific um sims online player which if, if listeners aren't oh. familiar with it it was uh, similar to Second Life, except there was m- many more constraints to the game. Yes. Um, and one of my, so you could have three Sims. Um, one of my Sims was just me, which was a 12-year-old girl, which was, of course, caused all sorts of issues. Um, <laughs> one of them was a slightly older girl, uh, also ca- caused all sorts of issues. And then one of them, I was like, I want to be a boy. So I made up this whole crazy backstory about how I was a boy. I mean, this went on for like months. And of course I was a 12 year old girl, so I don't know how convincing it was, <laughs> but I remember one day I was like, you know what? Like these people don't care. I'm just going to come out and tell them I'm a 12 year old girl in Florida <laughs> and everything I told you, I totally made up. And they were actually, they were really mad. And I felt, I felt really bad about it. Mm, <laughs> yeah, people, It's not always a not everyone's on the same page about this is just a, I mean, they didn't think it was just a game. They thought they were really, I guess, talking to. Right. (laughs) If, if that's what they were doing, then that's understandable. Um, One of the, you know, the incels, I guess he's not actually an incel or who knows, very problematic person um, (laughs) that I've had on the show actually had him on 
two or three times. I maybe I only had him on twice, but uh, this other woman that he had been talking to, and this whole drama that happened, I had her on too. Um, grotesque subhuman was this like alias Todd. Oh wow. Yeah. And he was, he had a, a Kiwi Farms thread about him. He was this kind of known figure in, in the community, the incels community and whatever you would call the law cats, you know, Kiwi Farms um, that really had, you know, he'd gotten in trouble for um, some of his fixations, his one-itises as he called them on certain women and, and then getting upset at them. Um, but his whole origin story to me on the first episode was that he, I don't know if it was second life. I think it was something else that he was, and it wasn't the Sims, um, some online role-playing game where he had played a woman. And he said this to me, and I think this was probably to make me uncomfortable. Like, you know, she actually looked a lot like you. Um, and that this was a, a character that he'd really, developed and and stuck with for years, apparently, again, don't know how true this was, but I'm sure that it did happen, even if he kind of magnified some of the details. Um, and he made all these friends through it and apparently was quite isolated in real life. And he finally decided to come out to people and the rejection that he felt and also the anger and the betrayal that they felt was apparently scarring to him because people were so upset with him. And I also, I asked, you know, was this sexual? Like, was it role-playing where you have a gender question? And he was like, no, no, it wasn't. And at the time, I think I was looking for an explanation, but there, it's not necessary, you know, because we do actually all entertain that. We all know what that's like to just play and then maybe be accepted for this person that you are and celebrated, you know, and loved in ways that you feel that you're not otherwise. And then it's harder to kind of divorce yourself from that and certainly to come out that it was a fabrication. Yeah. I think it also becomes an addiction too. Um, I like, I learned recently, um, you know, I, I got on like relationship TikTok and I started following this woman who talks about affairs through the lens of chemical addiction. Mm. And I think like it's, it, the mechanism must be similar. Like, Oh, sure. Yeah, like it. It's um, secrecy. There's endorphins. There's the you know right. excitement. All of it. Yep. And I, it, I mean, it has it has to be something like that too. It, it you know, it's yeah. It's, it's amazing probably- how many like in this world, just how many things we have to become addicted to and distracted by, and and how similar you know the mechanism is on the brain. Like the neurological effects are very similar between things that. Some things that are, you know, plants that grow in the ground that literally have an effect on your brain chemistry and some things that are as ornate and kind of as psychological and as created and constructed as, you know, an alter ego, a a catfishing identity. And we use them in the same way. Yeah, especially if you're isolated. I mean, I I just I'm I'm so sympathetic to it. Um, You know, so many people like don't know the, you know, it's, it's I think it's like the closest thing that a lot of people can get. And especially, I mean, we should, we should talk about the film a little bit, but Mm. especially for um, Angela, who is the, the, you know, the titular uh, catfish. um, She, you know, it's, it's the closest thing that someone like that is going to get to like walking into a bar or walking into a party and being the prettiest one there. And that like rush of like, of attention and and being sort of the bell of the ball for like lack of a better, you know, phrase. Um, And once you like, 
you know, some people go their whole lives and never feel that. And if you find an outlet, I mean, it's, I mean, what's fun as hell. It's, you know, it's more than just validating. It's like, wow, like I can get this like really just exhilarating social experience through making a couple of details up on the internet. Why not? You know, it's free. Be my guest, right? Yeah. And and she's someone who is an artist, you know, so this was a creative outlook for her too. But yeah, well, let's get started with, with poor Angela and her story. So this was 2010. It did the festival circuit and, uh, you know, it was accepted in competition at Sundance as one of the documentaries, which is a very prestigious sort of showcase for a film. And, and it deserved it. I actually first saw it, I think, 2012, when it was on, maybe 2013, it was on the, the Sundance channel. I don't even know if that channel still exists. It used to be a great channel. It was an offshoot of IFC. But I saw it. I was lucky enough to see it without having any idea what it was about or knowing what I was getting myself into. And I think even though the show already existed, I hadn't seen that yet. Um, so it was really a thrilling experience. I just couldn't get enough of it. And apparently there have been a lot of questions about its authenticity and accusations that the filmmakers were exploiting this woman. And then some people thought even she wasn't real. I think it's obvious to anyone who sees the film that the woman, um, Angela, is, is a real person, you know, and her life as it's revealed in the end is real. There there were some accusations that um, that the filmmakers and Neve kind of probably knew more about her than than they let on in the film, and I think that's obviously true. But that's the way all documentaries are made, you know. That it's it's part of making making a film. I don't think that makes it inauthentic. So it's pretty, in my opinion, actually pretty authentic. And the story really did happen the way that it does in the film. It's just that they probably recreated things a little bit at the beginning to make a story that they could put on the screen to, to make it dramatic. That was the release. I think there was also an interesting little tidbit that Morgan Spurlock, the documentarian, uh, walked up to Ariel Shulman and Henry Juiced or to Neve at that screening and said, that was the best fake documentary I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I remember, I remember its release so well um, because it, it was the beginning. If I'm recalling correctly, Catfish was like, there was a spate of films about the internet. Um, it was, I feel like 2010 is like right when we're sort of like, we're kind of like post Facebook, well, not post Facebook, but like enough people are on Facebook where you don't really need to explain what it is anymore. Yeah. And people are like settled into social media. Um, and we start creating like good media about social networking. And I actually, right. I think that, I think the social network actually comes out that year too, speaking of, right. And yes, it does. Um, you know, I, I, I'm with people who think it's, it's, obviously a little inauthentic. I think, I think the real discovery is the reality of, um, Angela's life. I mean, let's back up a little bit though. And, um, just yeah. do a quick overview of the, the plot. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm so, kind of assuming that most people have seen it, but maybe not. Right. So most people probably, so spoiler, I mean, we've already spoiled it. I'm sorry guys, but <laughs> so catfish it's, it's, um, it follows Neve Shulman, um, who is at the time, you know, not a, a world famous uh, digital relationship 
guru, right? right. Um, but then, but then a, a dance photographer, he has a really sort of interesting background. You know, he's someone who, it, it, this is my kind of impression of him, who's clearly had sort of over-therapized, you know, he's somewhat, he oh comes, God, he's, yes. he's comes from a very privileged background. Um, he has a very sort of like manufactured compassion. You can kind of tell that he's always dated hot girls, like, you know, yeah. rich Jewish kid. I say this as yeah. a rich Jewish kid myself. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, he got kicked out of Sarah Lawrence. Um, right. This isn't necessarily in the film, but I think it adds some like interesting texture going into it. So and he's it's a his brother. Also, his brother is the one that's making the film, his older brother and his right. friend. So the, the documentary allegedly is supposed to be about he's a stance photographer and a photo of his um, was in the New York Sun or the New York Post or something. And New York Sun, young, yes. Yeah, I, dat- this- I dated someone who who took pictures for the New York Sun too when I lived there. Um, one of my my first boyfriends. It, that's not a very prestigious place to get one of your pictures uh, public <laughs> run. Just FYI, <laughs> but yeah. So so he has one of these dance photos. He you know he he had been a dancer and he he pivots to photography and he receives a MySpace message from a nine year old girl in Michigan named Abby. And basically what happens is he starts corresponding with Abby and she paints his, his photographs and, you know, she sends them to him or, you know, or, or so we think, and they, you know, right. they correspond a little bit. And then he starts, starts corresponding with her mother, Angela, and then he starts corresponding with her 19 year old sister, Megan. Right. And he gets sucked into this network of Facebook profiles and, you know, all of them have like 16 friends, you know, 30 friends. Right. Um, and this little community in Michigan, and he's basically, you know, e-dating um, this this nineteen year old Megan. And you right, know, Megan, and he's uh, twenty four at the time. He's he's right. He's he's twenty four, and you know, in the documentary, I mean, I I think he he probably realized things were amiss when all these profiles sort of had the same typing style and only had nineteen friends each at a time when it was pretty normal for. So I, I think that you know we're that everyone's sort of settled into Facebook when this is being being filmed. Um, I think it's actually filmed in 2008. Uh, yeah. But still, this is this is still a time when it's like, it's pretty normal to have anywhere between 200 and 100 at least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, this is someone who obviously would be pretty savvy about uh, media and social media in general. So I think there's... Right take that with a grain of salt that he was really this blind to what was going on. Right. But I think, you know, I think it was, it, it, it was probably intrigued. Right. So anyway, he was, and also who would, I, I want to kind of reiterate this. Um, when people talk about kind of falling for a catfish and, and uh, someone's lies online, like who would initially sort of, even nowadays when it's so common and everyone knows about it, like you don't assume um, right off the bat that someone's deceiving you because just oh, why would they? Well, so here's actually, I think a really good point. Cause you know, I recently, someone recently like lied to me. I mean, I was just insane. Right. Like I, and we can get into that a little bit later, but when people lie to you online as the lies in this, in this film, it's never like, I mean, sometimes, but it's, 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 you know, it's, it's rarely like, oh, I'm a celebrity, I'm a billionaire and I'm jet sitting all around the world. It's always these very ordinary lies. Like the kind of lies I was told was, you know, like someone saying I live in Cincinnati and really they live in Cleveland. Right. It's yeah. like, why would I, you know, Right. Like, I'm not going to like litigate that, you know, you know, Um, so the kinds of lies he's being told are just totally garden variety. So, you know, why would he 
who who the hell would make up that they're living in buttfuck Michigan? Right. Uh, who who would, you know, it, it is it, it is a rare person that would maybe entirely that, that would make up well, whatever. We'll we'll keep going and come back to that. Any, anyway, so he so in the film, the thing that tips him off is he and his brother and his his friend Henry are, I think, like G chatting or Facebook messaging um with Megan. And they, she's a singer. The whole family is very musical, and he, they're asking for song requests. And very quickly, she sends back what was it, Tennessee Stud? I think was yeah. The song. <laughs> it was pretty. I mean, you have to hand it to her that she she did a good job because she found the requests. You know, she found um, covers of these songs that were pretty good and sounded like a young woman's cover, but weren't, um, so good that it's like, yeah, they, they didn't sound like, Oh, this was clearly recorded in a studio. It it was still somewhat believable. Right. So they, so, you know, so she sends, she sends a song and then they discover, well, this, you know, this is a cover from someone else. I don't actually know, like, I don't know how they put that together. I don't know. Yeah. I was thinking that too. Cause I, I, you know, I, I did just see this. I think that they were, um, I think his brother was just skeptical of it and said, like, look that up. And and they found the cover because his brother didn't believe it and thought, oh, they, they requested uh, two different songs and they sounded like different people. Right. So that's that's what sort of so suddenly this whole they're starting to you know be like, OK, there's there's something up here. Right. And if um, she's lying about that, then. Right. What else is she she lying about? Um, and then, uh, you know, Neve is going to, to Vale and he, he invites them. That's the next big plot point, right? Yeah. He's, yeah. He's going to Vale, Colorado. And, you know, obviously since they're not real, um, they, they can't come. So, you know, the crew decides, why don't we just go see them? And so they drive to this little farm that, that, you know, allegedly they have these horses. Well, nothing's there. And they find a mailbox filled with postcards from like, you know, months ago that Neve had been sending Megan. Yeah. Um, and, you know, eventually they, they end up at Angela's house. Um, and they, you know, Angela doesn't look like Angela. Abby doesn't paint. All the paintings that have been done by this nine-year-old girl are actually done by this, you know, 43-year-old or however old uh, woman. There's no Megan period. Right. Um, and this, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're cutting to the chase, but the whole time that he's kind of communicating with Angela and she tells all these little lies as they're kind of closing in on her and approaching there that no, Megan's actually in rehab. And then they're not at the farm for this reason or that reason. And this is all shot, right? They first kind of creep up on the farm at night. It's very <laughs> ominous. And when they finally get there the next day during the day, um, and don't know if any of this is going to be real. Angela opens the door in this very kind of shabby, you know, she's very shabby. That, that scene at the farm at night is a really iconic scene. Um, and that reminds me of something we haven't mentioned. This was actually marketed as a horror film, like when it had theatrical release and even the trailer and the score. Oh, that's right. It was marketed as a horror film. And I think I think that's so interesting. Um because you know that's that's and that's really the scene when it comes through, and it's really in the third act that you realize there is some. It, it is so. It's not scary, but there. It's how disturbing it is really shines through. Um, and um, 
Neve's uh, now iconic personality is really showcased in this third act when he's going to confront Angela. Um, you know, so if you haven't watched Catfish, um, you know, I'm curious in what way you mean, but, um, just speaking to that, uh, that's right, that it was marketed as a horror movie and you can still tell by the poster that it's kind of, you know, by the original artwork for the film, that it was kind of being sold as that. And that was another connection that I, I felt a kinship with it was that my show, when I started, it was kind of like the trailer and it was on a true crime network marketed as horror in a sense and, and the music and everything. But when it really turns out that it's lonely people and kind of love stories even or lack of love stories, however you want to look at it. <laughs> um, I wanted to mention that when they actually come the next day and, and see Angela, um, we open the door into her house and these two little boys who are like, they have some kind of, you know, developmental disorder right, they're severely disabled severely disabled they're probably a, adult age I, it's hard to tell but they're you know uh, they're they have the you know cognitively they're like toddlers two or three years old they can't really speak they're only half dressed and they're short and they're walking around this house. Like one of them is hungry. So he kind of like bangs on a pan and it's just shocking. I mean, when, when I saw that I was, my jaw dropped at seeing. I mean, the whole way this woman lives is really, especially juxtaposed to the sort of New York lifestyle that Neve, like quite obviously lives with his brother and friend. Like she, you know, it's the house is not well decorated it's very disorganized. The cabinets are hanging off in the yeah. kitchen. She has a refrigerator from like 1975. You know, yes. it's, it's the whole very- thing is just very poorly kept up. You know, this is a very an existence that would I think was probably completely foreign to someone like Neve. You know, absolutely walking and, in there. But you know what? I, what I was gonna what I was gonna say before was um, so you know eventually Neve she she. Angela tries to keep up the lie for a little bit what, during his visit. Right. In little ways, like, you know, that, that was, you know, she's kind of mm, like lubricating the truth, like making tiny little steps. Right. Like it. she's, you know, there, so there is no Megan, but she says that there is, but she's in um, rehab. I mean, there's like all sorts of strange little, you know, little lies. I think lubricating the truth is sort of a great, a great way to frame it. But, you know, and she's also got a husband who happens to walk in at some point um to c- come back home who the whole time has been under the impression that Neve was a, like a benefactor of hers was someone who was commissioning her artwork that's right. what she was telling her husband um and you know so he says to her he, he doesn't get angry with her um and he doesn't shame her um he says that he he very he puts his hand on her back and he says you're just really creative yeah, he and was he was great in that respect, and he he's really good with that um, with people on the on the TV show too. Yeah, and I think it's like such a I I think that's what I that quality to me at least is what was able to give this man an entire career. It's, yeah, that, yeah, it's such because it's such, it's compassionate, but it's such a unique compassion that I think is so rare to find. Yeah, you know, and it's unexpected coming from him too. Absolutely. You know, he carries himself and he seems like someone who um, 
you know, is, is respectful and, and knows how to, to behave and is intelligent and educated. So all of these qualities, but his ability to be compassionate and, and empathetic too, with someone like Angela instinctively too, it's like, he doesn't have to, to stop to think about it. It's, it's right away is it, it's unexpected and it can be quite moving. Yeah, you know, another another scene, speaking of moving, that I thought was really interesting is he asks Angela to talk to him as Megan, um, which yeah. I thought was a really interesting thing to ask. Like, just, I mean, he, it's, you know what it is? I think it's, it's, it is compassionate in a way, but I also think he's really treating this whole situation as art but not yeah. as exploitation. No, not at all. Yeah, he has a curiosity too. He does have an artist lens on all of this. Yeah. And like early seasons of Catfish, the show also sort of have this quality. I mean, obviously like, you know, you get it there. There's been 500 episodes. So it's like you, they, they have to all find of them. Amazing. I personally think <laughs> I, I loved Catfish, Um, you know, what I think is really interesting about the show, by the way, that people might not know, is it's not the catfished person who right. um, who they call, work backwards. Who, yeah, they work backwards, which I think is really uh, which I think it is makes really sense because uh, you know it would be yeah if they actually didn't work backwards, then they would be setting that person up to be very cornered and and trapped. I I think so. Too. I mean, and also it could be like impossible to unravel some of these things. Um, makes that makes that element easier to their internet sleuthing yeah right and i think the show has taught people a lot a lot of the basics about you know internet searching reverse image search and lexus nexus you know there's um i don't know if i should be revealing this because it's actually like um horrifying information to have um if you have somebody's real phone number right not a google voice but their real phone number you can get everything you want about them because most people don't know how to hide this. Um, there's, I forget what it's called, but there's like a, a, a database, right? That uh, if you type in like caller ID, right? It'll it'll come up, but there's like this database that's, it, it moves so slow to get your name removed from it. And most people don't know their name is on it. And it's not like a data broker or something. It's like the, it's like a telecommunications thing. Yeah. Um, and you get your, like, just, it just has all your personal info. So if you ever suspect someone's lying to you about something, as long as you have their um, actual phone number, um, you could just, I mean, completely just dox their ass, um, you know, even privately. So uh, if you do want to lie to someone um, about your identity, you get yourself a Google number, <laughs> Google number, or use Telegram and make sure you do not share uh, your, your cell number. I am, um, I learned this the hard way. Um, uh, luckily with an employer and not a, uh, <laughs> not someone Ooh. I was trying to lead astray. I had a situation where, well, so I use this, I use this, Catherine D isn't my, everyone knows this isn't my real name. Right. And I, um, I was doing a freelance project as Catherine D and someone who was employing me to do copywriting, like looked at my number and was like, you know, why is it say that your name's this and not this? And I was like, oh, this is just sort of like the professional entity I use. But yeah, that's my, you know, that's my government name. It's it, like, it's, it's fine that you know that. But I, but I was super spooked once I learned that that's a. Uh, Wait, they, they found which name? They found like my government name. So my government name 
is different than my right. Pri- okay, so they they yeah. found your government name. Yeah, but that's not really. So nothing really came of that. I thought you were going to say that someone had well your government name who was hiring you to do copywriting, and because they had your phone number too, they linked it to Catherine D and and this you know persona of yours that writes these horrible right wing. <laughs> they oh, did no. I mean, content no. and it would be something like that. No, no, I mean that that's okay, happened good. for other for other reasons, but uh, no, I mean it was just, it was just weird because I'm like I'm not. I mean, you would have gotten this info like once we did tax stuff, but like, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I, cause I use Catherine D now at, at like work. Right. So right. It, it's just, I just keep it. I don't, I don't, I don't know why I keep it uh, siloed at this point, but I do. So anyway, that well, it's for more privacy. Right. I, I fell down the rabbit hole of all the, all the many ways people can find inf- information on you that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, I mean, also if you've got some willpower and you have some basics about the person, like their name, like a phone number, one that's that's real, not just a Google number, because those, yeah, those are basically meaningless and they get created and destroyed all the time. Um, there's a lot of things you can do. And I think it's, I think something else that the show did and the film originally did was show a little bit of that process. It doesn't, read like it will be interesting to watch, right? You're like putting things into a computer. But I think because maybe because everyone has a little experience with it, you know, it, it is actually, I find thrilling to watch. Um, I think so too. <laughs> like on the show Catfish, where they do the same thing every time it's, you know, it's one segment of the show where they're going to go back into whatever, you know, coffee shop by the hotel they're staying at or the studio, whatever it is, they're going to sit down and they're going to take the information that they have about the person um, or the, you know, their alter ego, whatever, whether it's real or not, and and do the do the Google, you know, and it's absolutely thrilling to watch every time. Like that's one of the best parts of the show. Um, and I was going to, you know, for the, the first episode of the podcast, um, there was one, I thought I was going to be focusing on, on one person and my search for that person's real identity led to some really interesting discoveries. I didn't end up using it for a number of reasons, but you know, when you have a phone number and see who that's kind of linked with and what names come up again and again with social media, with everything, you really can patch together um, sort of a, a profile of someone unless they're very careful. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is like, people are also remarkably bad at lying. I mean, it's actually kind of hard, you know? Yeah. Um, Especially over time, right? Yes, yes, um, yes. Which is, you know, I, I've, uh, I've, I've really, I started to appreciate sort of. So, you know, on on certain corners of of social media, um, especially like sort of like these like right wing young men, there's like the conventional wisdom is don't talk to women, right? Don't get mm-hmm. crushes on women. Don't flirt with them. Don't DM them. Uh, because it will blow your anonymity. And I, I used to think like, that's like, that's such a, oh, really? that's funny. I used to I think it was like, no e-girls. Right. And I used to think like, that's so, yeah. I, I thought it was misogyny on, and it yeah. kind of, it, it, it is to some extent, but actually it's, I, I endorse it now because right? it's also just smart. I mean, it's just smart because if you, if you are, if you're, if you're posted, if you're like an internet Nazi, for, for example, right. And you know, you're tweeting heinous shit day in and day out. And you're talking to a woman who you're opening up to for, let's say, six months. You're not, even if you never tell her your your government name, the city you, you live in. You told her something. Yes. You, it, it, come, it comes out and Absolutely. you don't even realize how it comes out. 
that's why people who work in, in intelligence, like in, in ops and operations, the people that we think of as spies often can't have personal relationships because it's, it's too much of a vulnerability. And that's also why, you know, when people want to investigate someone or to take it a step further to blackmail someone, then the person that they're intimately involved with, their, their intimate partner, that can always be used against someone. You know, it's, it's an Achilles heel. And I, I think, I think people don't even realize that you, re- you also reveal things through your lies. That's also why interrogations work the way they do is because certain questions are repeated. Even if the truth doesn't come out, the fact that something is a lie will, because it's very hard to keep it exactly consistent. There's certain language tells, et cetera. So even if you don't necessarily spill what the truth is, you will tell on yourself that you're lying. Right. This is another interesting part of the documentary. Um, People are bad at like lying about lifestyles that they don't lead. You know what I mean? And that's sort of like, you know, and I think that's why a lot of lies tend to stay ordinary because it's so much easier to say, like, you know, back to that example, like I, you know, I live in Cincinnati. If you live in Cleveland, God forbid you say that you live in Seattle, that, you know, that house of cards has fallen down real quick. Right. So here's, here's a weird question. Do you think that so, I, you know, I t- in my own writing, I talk a lot about something called emotional truths. So people who are like the, the literal information is false, but it's revealing of something true about sure. your nature, your mm-hmm. emotional state. Do you think that someone can form a genuine relationship under the layers of things that are, you know, technically speaking lies if they do show something real about your your inner self? I mean... Yes. Like, I I don't think that there's, first of all, you know, we're going to have to define genuine relationship and we're going to have to define emotional truth, et cetera, et cetera. Because it's kind of like, where do you draw the line? I mean, everybody lies to each other, even to people who they they live with and share a bed with. Deception is a part of nature. I mean, animals deceive. It's like how, you know, monarch butterflies have big spots on their wings that look like eyes to signal to a predator that there's something other than what they are. Everyone deceives. So you work your way from that to I'm a famous rapper in Miami or, or, or I'm a 19 year old singer songwriter when I'm actually, you know, a 47 year old caretaker. And, and there's a lot of ground in between those two, but I do think that you can form genuine connections in spite of that. It partially depends on how, on how either person handles the deception. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think so too. You know, and, and I, I said this before, like, if someone's lying online, it just feels qualitatively different than somebody lying in the physical world, um, just because of the nature of communication. Just the rule, I feel like the rules are, with something so mediated, they're just, they're different. I don't know, yeah. the etiquette's different, the psychological expectations are different, and we really haven't fleshed out language and you know, an understanding of it, I, I think, because I, I think, you know, even though we are in the, the age of dating apps and uh, social media and, you know, you may you may see your best friend never, but talk to them 24-7, right? Like, right. we still don't take internet relationships seriously. Like, I don't think it's as frowned upon as it might have been in 2006, but yeah. It's seen as, it's certainly seen as naive. Yeah, it's seen as naive. And I mean, I think it's so strange because I think we still sort of put a premium on like physical interaction, even though in practice, no one's really living that life. You know, it's like, I mean, like I'd look at my own life and, um, you know, I, 
obviously like my other half is basically the only person I'm physically, I mean, cause we live together. It's the only person I'm physically interacting with all my friends. It's completely in my family. It's completely mediated. Yeah. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, at some point, like what's, what difference does it make? Like I, some of my best friends I haven't seen since, you know, 2011, right? It's like, right. Yeah. I think that's like completely common. I think a lot yeah. of people live that way. I think that's why, you know, I gave the example of if these people know someone in common or something, then it's more like that. It's more kind of like, oh, this is someone who's within my circle. But when it's like someone out of the ether, I think that's really frowned upon. Yeah. Back to the question of can you form a genuine relationship? I think that the reason the rules are different is partly because the motivations are a little bit different. I think it's, I mean, I think also it's because a lot of people do lead sort of isolated lives and it's, you know, like we want to talk about things. We want, we want to tell stories and I think people lack the raw material. And so at some point, a lot of the lies that people tell are lies of what could have been uh-huh, right? right you know it's like you're you you know you go to an atm and you see a funny looking person next to you nothing happens and the rest of your day you're completely alone and the lie you tell is i saw a funny looking person and xyz happened even though you know nothing did because right. it's like that's what if life was a little bit different that's what should have happened yes that's something that uh people do to impress each other more, or they might tell, you know, this is super common to tell a friend's story as their own, you know, like the, a friend of theirs or someone they know or in their school or something told some interesting or funny story and they kind of tell it to someone else, passing it off as their own. That's something that children do, for instance. And the example that you gave, like children do this all the time, right? They'll say that they were outside and they saw a rabbit and they dropped their banana and the rabbit grabbed it and like hopped away. <laughs> right. It's completely innocent. It's, you know, in their mind, it's probably that they're aware that they're kind of getting away with something when they tell it and they want to see the reaction. So it's like a way of testing your boundaries. It's also a way of learning about the other person and about yourself. It's something that everyone does for a while when they get to a certain age because you feel very powerful to be able to do that. Oh, sure. I mean, I you know, also think it's just like fun. Um, yeah. And that's sort of underrated. You know, I, I've, I mentioned a couple of times. So I had, I, I had, I was like recently basically catfished, right? And, at, you know, I, did, I never called this person out online to me just because I think they would have felt a lot of shame. I did stop talking to them though, because it was getting mm. a little bit out of, con- I mean, it was just like, a, it just wasn't even interesting at, at some point. Yeah. But I did, you know, I did say to them, I was like, I'd actually, I know I did the Neve Shulman thing. I was like, you're very creative. Like you, like, why don't you write some fiction? Because like, instead of just, I, you know, I didn't say instead of flagrantly making up an alternative life to tell me for whatever <laughs> reason, but I was like, you know, you, you've got some good ideas. I also did, you know, I did try to say, um, and I, I hope that they interpreted this correctly. I did say to them, I was like, look, um, I may not be a very good one, but I am a journalist, you know, like so I'm going right. to have an impulse to like, back check some of these cl- claims, right. you know, <laughs> like that's my, my job. <laughs> my profession is to call bullshit. Um, again, maybe not very well, but. <laughs> right. Well, I think you uh, call it very well. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like it was, you know, for, the, for in this particular case, I really just think they're like, they're just bored out of their mind. And like, I don't know. I, it, it, I almost feel bad for like, I just, I don't know. I just didn't have the patience for it. I didn't feel threatened or anything, but I was, it just felt like you you need some, you need, 
you must be very bored and you must be very lonely to be doing this. And maybe, maybe art, like creating actual art is the way forward. Because if, if you're, you can't, if you're workshopping your lies with another person, eventually they're going to, they're going to get wise to it as, as I did. Right. But you know what I've learned because I, I also used to be very much in the habit of, of telling people to turn to art and, you know, uh, channel this into something creative and sublimate your pain into like a story or something. When it comes down to it, most people really don't have the wherewithal to sit down and and put that kind of effort into something. And yeah. often, Darwin, it's kind of like there are certain people who, you know, they'll, they'll talk about someone who's very manipulative and who can kind of like cry to get what they want or something and lie well. Um, and they'll say, oh, you know, she's such a good actress. Like she should be an, be an actress. And it's like, actually, no, you know, the the craft of, of having to perform convincingly, you know, on a cue for a project, for something culturally higher is very different than just, you know, in the moment, um, having a convincing fit or, or lying in order to get, get out of something. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably why, I, but you know, it, it's my impulse too, all the time. Like when I talk to people who have elaborate fantasies about things, like you should become a writer, you could make movies, you have good ideas. Like, well, in actuality, not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends, you know, it, I've, I've actually tried to like guide people through, I mean, I did once in a like significant capacity and it kind of, it kind of went well, like once you got up, once we got off, you know, the initial sort of learning curve, um, we wrote a screenplay together and I, cause I just felt like this person, this was years and years and years ago. Um, and I just felt like they needed some kind of outlet. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's write something together because you have some like very undirected or misdirected, I don't know, impulse here. Um, and then once they, like, once they got into the narrative universe that we created, it was very, it was very helpful. And like gaming, I think also cool. serves that need, but it's, it's, it takes a lot of patience. I mean, it's like, I don't know why I'd, I took it upon myself to be this, you know, random <laughs> young man's therapist. Um, <laughs> I, I get did. it, girl. I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about missed callings, uh, you know, maybe we should have gone into the the mental health field. <laughs> I think, I think the mental health field to me or to you, maybe not, I'll speak for myself, is kind of like the, it's the same analogy as right, the, exactly. the a writer <laughs> to this person who's just a great liar. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't translate in quite the same way. And you have to, you have to color it in the lines so much more yeah. um, and all that. I mean, that's what, 20 years of schooling. Oh my God. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then there's, not everyone's going to be interesting. God forbid you have to deal oh, with no. someone's boring ass right. problems. <laughs> Right, right. Which, you know, I, I find very few people boring, but I think in large doses and in that sort of formal setting, that might be very, very different. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's, I mean, I um, I, I really enjoyed um, rewatching this movie. Um, I, you know, one thing I did, I did want to mention that I totally forgot about is, um, you know, Neve goes on to like meet the woman um who was you know whose photos were being whose used photos were used yeah, yeah. A- her name is amy, amy gonzalez and i thought I, that was i thought that was really interesting i mean like nothing really came of of the meeting she was just sort of sort of like thrown off by it yeah 
Um, but I'm surprised it didn't that didn't make it into the film. It was like sort of like an extra like deleted scene later on. Yeah, I think probably it was something about, you know, her, it was anticlimactic maybe, and it didn't really fit with the story, but it's a trope that they ended up um, incorporating into the TV show when, uh, when someone else's photo is being used and they refer to that. Uh, I like this, all, all their terms as the mask. It's the photo that's being used um, as the, the catfish. And they can verify that that person exists independently and has no idea who the poor, you know, target is. They'll contact that person in some way and and show show the the hopeful. That's what they call the the target of the catfishing. They'll show the hopeful this person a video of them saying like, "I have no idea who you are," or they'll actually speak to each other. And that's always kind of a, a satisfying little morsel in the show when they have that. They also another detail that I thought was um, was pretty jarring. Was that so? This woman, Angela, um, was really. I don't want to say she's a prolific catfish because I don't think she did it to other people, right? I think he asked her about that and that she said that she didn't. Um, well, we don't know. You, I mean, we don't know we if don't, that's true, of course, yeah. but at least she, she claimed not to. But she, he asked her, you know, when he asked her, like, talk is Megan, which was also riveting. <laughs> um, he also asked her, you know, so were you this person? Were you that person? And she showed him all the different cell phones that she had for all these other people's phone numbers and their accounts. And she had like maybe a dozen, maybe half a dozen, I don't know, little dumb phones next to each other with like a piece of tape on them for the different characters, which was quite something to see. Yeah. And, you know, I wondered about like how much that would have cost her because these aren't people with a lot of money. And like, no. there, I mean, there are blackberries, right. Which had, and at the time where, I mean, this, this was, so it's being filmed like contemporaneous to the first iPhone being released. So people still have blackberries. I mean, they're, they're good phones, you know? Yeah. But wait, those were all blackberries that she had. No, I thought they yeah, were, no. tiny, they were little like brick dumb phones. No, they were, she had like, she, she had like a couple of blackberries. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess, yeah, that's which to me, which you know, I think an interesting de- even if they weren't so expensive, at least like revealed to me like this is like really her hobby. This is, like this, yes. this, this is like a, a serious project to her. I mean, even to maintain, she had a network of Facebook profiles too. Yeah, and to maintain that, I mean, it's it it's, really is kind of an art piece. It is, and it's, I, I mean it would be very hard to to do that and to keep them up. Like this is something that took up a lot of her time. She also, um, you know, she was obviously the, the painter. And I remember wondering along with Neve, whether Abby, the nine-year-old was actually a real girl because when they first showed up at her house, Abby wasn't there. Um, and I was certainly skeptical, but then it turned out that Abby was a real girl. I think, the man that she was married to currently, um, you know, in the present of the film, wasn't Abby's father. And maybe, you know, she was co-parenting Abby. I think it was something like that. She wasn't with her all the time. She was divorced. Um, and and Neve ended up meeting Abby. And that was an interesting scene, too, because Abby, she came back to Angela's from her dad's or wherever she was. And she was just like a normal Right. Year old girl, kind of sassy, rolled her eyes a lot, 
wasn't like a virtuoso painter. And it was really interesting to see that, like her in, in 3D moving. It was so yeah. different the Abby that Angela portrayed, but she was actually the real girl and it was her daughter. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is also part of what um, Neve's correspondence with Abby in the beginning is what made people think the documentary was fake because it was sort of this like, why are you talking to to a nine-year-old girl who's cl- yeah exactly yeah yeah um <laughs> which i think is fair like it, it, it is that, fair. that never made sense to me I, like he just it did you know because it was clearly nothing nefarious there but also like why why would you like his vanity in a way i mean i can imagine if if someone turned some piece of art of yours into their own piece of art and sent it to you that's very touching. And, you know, you want to be magnanimous to this person. And then if it turns out that it's like a nine-year-old and they're corresponding with you, I, I can sort of get <laughs> tossing it back and forth a little bit with the nine-year-old. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I, th- I think you turned into Angela and Megan pretty quickly. Maybe like the, the third art piece. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Angela's actually was the painter and her paintings, you know, once you know that they're an adult are not anything to write home about, right. They're like, they're all right. Yeah. They, um, yeah, they're, they're, I mean, it makes it all the more abject and depressing. Yeah. It was really pretty mediocre, but one of the pieces of the puzzle, and I don't remember if this happened before, I think this happened before. Yeah. the, The, you know, finding out that the Megan's uh, songs were fake was the first real sign that these were straight up lies. Um, I think the one after that was that uh, Neve was told that um, Abby, the nine-year-old, was having an art show at some gallery. And they ended up calling the place and checking it out if there actually was a show and there wasn't. Right. I Yeah. <laughs> Was it like there there was no there was no art gallery at all, right? There was no, yeah. The place that they um said was a gallery was actually some kind of just a regular store or something like that. Yeah, that was Yeah. It it's you know, it's it's what's really sad is I think so after the after the documentary, Angela goes on and tries to create a, a, a website for her art. And it's it's now defunct. But I mean she tried to she tried to sort of turn this into she tried to turn herself into a sideshow, basically, yeah. and it just didn't work out at all. No one wanted to hear from her. She yeah, had, she did like maybe like one interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think and now, well, like LA Times profiled her, and that's just like, like impossible that. to find. Um, yeah, I think I read it at the time. She didn't come across as remarkable, right? Well, she, I mean, she isn't. No, but the phenomenon of her and just the the lengths she went with all the different profiles and everything, like it really was kind of a remarkable case of, of catfishing, but otherwise I, that's another example of it. You know, this seems to hint at at least a talent for fiction building some kind of creativity, but that, that doesn't really translate in any other way. I wonder if we're ever going to reach a point or if we're even going to look back on, you know, stories like this and acknowledge it as an art form, just one that isn't very easily, you know, like, crystallized right like there's no there's no way to sort of like archive something like this it's just either you know about it or, or you don't maybe, maybe it'll be kind of like like folk art <laughs> like yeah you know, the way women's endeavors have often been like knitting and making pottery or something collaging uh scrapbooking whatever little hobby fishing 
catfishing right will go right in uh, there <laughs> so one one sort of thought and this might feel a little bit out of left field but it was a thought i had last night um sort of reflecting on all of this is part of this film also feels like it, it's sort of closing the chapter and like a lot of these little slice of life documentaries about i don't i hate the word flyover state but like sort of mm -hmm. like the rest of America that kind of yeah. came out during the Bush era. And this mm -hmm. comes out, you know, like, uh, I mean, it's like peak Obama, but it feels like sort of like the closing end. Like we had all these documentaries about like evangelical Christians and new atheism and it, it and what it's what it's really like in quote unquote real America. And this yeah. feels like sort of the final, like this is the the last of that kind of tradition of like, here's what's going on outside of the coasts. And I don't know if you got that impression from it. There's something that feels so sort of like of that time. Well, you know, I, I did without necessarily even thinking about it or being aware of it when I said that I saw this on the Sundance channel, um, which was an offshoot of IFC, which I don't know if either exists anymore, but that, that was a style of, of film that was very popular on there. These little slice of life, like these, these were documentaries before the era of Big Doc, <laughs> you know, Netflix coming in with its big guns and like Alex Gibney making these very, I mean, just caked with money productions, um, then often like multi-part too, uh, that took these stories and, and like really produced them, added like a very kind of loud production style to them that now I think are beginning to... Mm, you know, they've seen their heyday, I think. Maybe not. They're still quite popular. But yeah, um, those came in and kind of really took over for that style of film, along with just the indie, like the indie film, which wasn't necessarily a documentary, but it might have been. Um, but it was like a small kind of quiet story. And, and this type of documentary kind of died with that channel. And I think maybe just with the popularity of documentary as a, a genre like really exploded shortly after that. And when, whenever like a cool little art form gets corporatized and, and picked up and a ton of money gets poured into it, that's usually it's death now <laughs> shortly thereafter. Yeah. Gone are the days of uh, Neve Shulman's catfish. And now we have the Netflix produced uh, Mante Teo, uh, which is another famous yeah. catfishing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, story. Um, I remember when that happened. I did that predate catfish. That was that was weird. That was a that was, that was that was very weird. I don't think it predated it because they actually had um, on an episode of Catfish the show. They had it was some. I don't know if it was the person who'd been catfishing him. There was some somebody that was connected to that story on that show. It might have, you know it, it might have been shortly. I, now I have to look it up. It might because now I'm I have like a memory of finding out about it in New York, but I don't know which office I was in. Was I working at Redacted I, or was I working? I think at it was right around 2010 when that happened. Where maybe maybe a couple of years after. I I don't know. We're moments away from, uh, from finding out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Personal life. He became engaged. Blah blah blah. He's Mormon. Catfishing incident, 2012. Yeah, two yep, years yep, later. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I was, uh, you know, just coming off uh, my Occupy Wall Street phase when I found that. Oh, out. <laughs> <laughs> you had one of those. 
Yeah, I I was at Occupy, but with Ron Paul Revolution. So I was like extra annoying. (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah. I've never, I've never been one to join movements. I've always been very interested in them and yeah, maybe kind of standing around the periphery, but yeah, I'm not a big joiner. I always show up as a tourist. Like I'm always kind of like, I'm sort of like, what, what, why is she here? She doesn't really believe in anything. (laughs) She bought chips and beer, whatever. We just let her in. (laughs) Right. I remember you saying that (laughs) you feel like your place in the E-Rite is kind of like you you keep on walking into the wrong room, which I found hilarious. Yeah. uh, It's like, Hey guys, I, you know, (laughs) have a six pack if anyone wants. (laughs) Right. Um, I get, but I guess that's a, that might be a good place to end it. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> all right, until until next time. Okay. Baby, why did you all alone? And if it wasn't for the music, I don't know what I'd do. Yeah. Last night a DJ saved my life. Last night a DJ saved my life from a broken heart. Let's